You guys, welcome to episode 58 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known, and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McKeady. How are you? Um, it's another early morning here for me, just letting you know. I think that that's like my new thing now. I think that I record this podcast early or whatever or something. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm much more awake and alive than I was in previous morning episodes. I just am trying to become a morning person and it's just, it feels like it'll never happen. I just, I think that I'm just not cut out to be awake early. I don't, I don't think it's for me. Um, so if any jobs listening or whatever, um, cut me some slack. You know what I mean? It's not for me. Thank you. Seriously, I'm not even kidding. I just, it's just not me. It's just not, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't prosper in the morning. I don't. Um, I'm a much better night person. Like, at night, I'm more, like, with it, and I'm on it, and I'm on top of my shit, and I'm, like, I'm more creative at night, and I don't know. I just, at night, I'm, like, killing it. Like, at three in the morning, I'm fully killing it. At, uh, seven in the morning... Your boy is dead meat. I'm literally just a fucking a, a rotted steak. <clears throat> I'm a rotted steak thrown on a, on the ground. Like, that's me. Like, see, that analogy didn't even make sense. That's me in the morning. I'm a little bit loopier. I, I don't make sense. My sentences have no beginning, middle, or ending. I'm just a, a fucking mess. Um, actually... <laughs> I was thinking the other day about <laughs> when I was little and I used to wake up in the morning for school. Uh, I always hated it. Like it always, it, it, it truly, it was like a battle royale between me and my mom where like she would be like grabbing at my legs and fucking pulling me out of my bed and basically assaulting me and I would somehow sleep through it. Um, I just hated waking up early. I hated it. And I remember I'd wake up at like 6am or whatever to start getting ready for school and my, I used to do this thing every day, and I don't know how my mom every single day like didn't know what was happening, but I would go into the kitchen, and I'd run the hot water, and I'd sit Indian style with my body on the counter next to the sink and create this little like day spa, and I'd fall asleep like b- curled up in a ball next to the sink with my head against the counter, uh with like steam just like fucking cascading across my body and i'd go to sleep for another like 30 minutes just like sitting on our kitchen counter like that's how desperate i was to not be awake in the morning and that was like it was just instinctual um so you know i'm just trying to do better you know your boy's 30 i'm just trying to turn around my bad habits like, it just is what it is. I don't know. We'll see. We'll get there. You're on the journey with me. We'll get there together. You're probably listening to this at, like, 6 a.m. because you're a morning person who, like, works out and, like, does all the things. And, like, you have, like, a really good uh, a good schedule going. Like, you're on your way to work. And I, like, envy you. And I want to be you. So just, like, be there for me. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode. I... Okay, well, look, we're going to be talking about Demi Lovato and Wilmer Valderrama. Now, listen, I know, I know, it's, can we get off this boy's jock? I know, it's, this is episode 30 from Wilmer on our podcast here. Uh, clearly, there's like, I, I've, I've, I have some sort of internal thing that I'm trying to work through when it comes to Wilmer Valderrama. I don't know what it is. Um, it's like. 
I have some cross to bear with him where I just can't let it go. But it's like, here we go again. You know what I mean? Here's another young girl, 17 years old, having to lie about being in a relationship with Wilmer Valderrama, who at the time was 30. And, you know, I just... You guys, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. Why is this okay? Why is it okay? Why does Wilmer Valderrama only date little girls? Like, have we checked his files? Have we checked Wilmer's computer files? I'm serious. Like, what the fuck? They were, you know, she was a 17-year-old little Disney girl when they met, and... He did the same thing to her that he did to Mandy and Lindsay, where he said, like, you know, you're not allowed to tell people that we're dating until you're 18, so on your 18th birthday, we can come forward about our relationship, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it just so happens that every time he gets in a relationship, the girl announces it on her 18th birthday. Are you fucking kidding me, Wilmer? Are you even trying to hide this? Like, what's happening? We need to get to the bottom of what's happening because I don't I don't understand. And somehow we end up like romanticizing these relationships. Like I think that Demi and Wilmer, you know, in the big picture, in the big scheme of things, when it comes to her addiction and him being there for her and all that stuff. And now, you know, she's like approaching her mid 20s. Um, she's a grown ass woman. I mean, Yes, you can look back now and, and, and say, like, it's actually really sweet that he's been there for her through all the things and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, um, you know, somehow Wilmer just gets this pass. And I don't know if it's because he's, like, cute and he's charming or whatever or because he's Fez from that 70s show or whatever. But I don't get it. I really don't. I don't get why it's okay. I just don't. Um... But, you know what, we're going to get into it. And also, when it comes to Demi, I mean, the beginning of Demi's career was a really big blind spot for me because I'm 30, so I was not immersed in, like, the camp rock uh, of it all. So, to go back and do all this research on, you know, these years of her life when her uh, addiction issues were at their peak, and her eating disorder was at its peak, and her self-harm and self-mutilation was at its peak, um... It was really fascinating, and I just think that Demi Lovato is, like, one of the most talented, down-to-earth, open, cool, honest people that we have in the entertainment industry. Um, I think she perfectly sort of represents what it means now to be a pop star, whereas, like, you know, when I was younger, it was, you know, there was no social media, so it's, like, to be a pop star or to be famous at all meant that you had this sort of... I don't know. It almost kind of dates back to, like, silver screen days. Like, old Hollywood days. With, like, you know, Betty Davis and, like, Joan Crawford. Of, like, you know, creating these sort of versions of your celebrity character. And then, the you know, the studio is sort of pumping out this version of you. And, you know, it was more so of just, like, a character version of your real life, you know? It wasn't who you really were. It was the network's sort of painted image of what you were. And there was a version of that, I think, 
in the early 2000s and in the, in the 90s and in the 80s. I think that we've always had that sort of version of that when it comes to celebrity, where it's like, <clears throat> there's this, um, this like image or this like idea of what we think the celebrity is. And then that idea becomes like their brand and they just sort of bank on that a little bit. But now things are so different and it's, and it's like transparency is everything, you know? <clears throat> Whereas before it's like, if something controversial happened in a celebrity's life, they wait to do like a television appearance and their television ab- appearance would be, um, you know, they'd have a bunch of lines that a, a room of executives sat down and wrote for them and, and told them that they thought would be the best thing to say. And, and that was their official statement. And now it's like, if something controversial happens, the celebrity just, like, gets on fucking Snapchat and, you know, puts a fucking hamster filter on their face and gives a statement and then it's over with. Like, it's a very weird thing. And I think that Demi being so just sort of, like, naturally honest and open and real and raw and, you know, candid about her struggles and her past and, like, what she's dealing with... Um, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's just interesting. The whole thing is just very fascinating. And I think that she's just, I, I think that Demi is just fucking great. Um, I also think she's very fascinating because she really gives a bird's eye view, a real sort of like introspective perspective. Is that a thing? It's early. Let it go. Just move on. Um, she gives this really sort of, uh, I don't know, this, like, um, relatable perspective of what it's actually like to be a young girl in, like, the Disney machine. You know what I mean? And she basically just confirmed all the things that we already thought. That, you know, these kids are being, like, pumped with drugs and blah, blah, blah. And, like, I will say, I do think that... I think that when it comes to Demi's story, that we're really, really just scratching the surface. Like, I think that it's really the tip of the iceberg. And... I would imagine that she has some incredibly dark stories and memories from being a Disney star and being drunk all the time and high all the time and angry and being surrounded by people who don't have her best interests and um, being a really young, impressionable, naive girl. Like, I don't know. When I think about Disney, I just feel like like, my immediate thoughts are not at all what, what they should be. I don't think of, like, the magic and all the things, and I don't. I think of young kids um, being binded by really intense contracts and having a lot of pressure put on them, a lot of drug use, a lot of molestation, a lot of pedophilia around. I just think of a really dark situation that I think of, like, a lot of, like, stage parents who maybe don't have their children's best interests. Like, just, you know, I don't think of the best things. That's just, it's not my, my immediate thought when I think of Disney stuff is not at all, like, you know, the fucking chocolate, uh, Dove, Dove chocolate bars from, like, Disney World. Like, that kind of stuff doesn't, I just don't care. I don't get it. I'm not, like, Disney is, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I don't get parents who are still kicking their kids in those fucking audition rooms and, like, you know, having them audition for these gross men. I just, I, the whole thing is just so crazy to me. Um, but we can go ahead and get started. Uh, I have a, I just have so many things to say. I, I, I don't even know where to begin, but we'll, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, <clears throat> so Demi and Wilmer started dating in May of 2010. 
they officially separated on June 3rd of 2016. Um, they met during a taping of the celebrity-endorsed PSA to get uh, the like the Latino community out to vote, um, which was filmed at Wilmer's house. And um, like I said, Wilmer was 29 when they met. Demi was 17. According to her, you know, he wanted nothing to do with her. And he told her we can be friends, but we won't date until your 18th birthday and blah, blah, blah. Which, like, you know, if you've listened to any other episode of this podcast featuring Wilmer Valderrama, um, <clears throat> you have the wherewithal to understand that that's a, a bold fucking lie. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just ridiculous ridiculous at this point to uh, to even, I mean, like, when he's 50, will he still be saying that? Now, I do feel a connection with you, little girl, but, well, I can't date you until your 18th birthday. I'm like, okay. Wilmer and Demi are still really good friends. They uh, seem to, I mean, Wilmer seems to really be, like, the one true love in, of Demi's life. Um, I do think, in some weird way, I think that they will end up together again. I feel like Wilmer... I feel like when Demi looks back on her sobriety, when she looks back on her struggles, when she looks back on her relapses, um, her darkest days, her best days, all of her highs and lows, I think that she does see Wilmer in that. Like, I think that he is, you know, so much a part of her milestones that um, she has this really intense attachment to him, which I wouldn't say is healthy. You know what I mean? But... I do genuinely think that Wilmer cares, like, a great deal about her. I don't think that he, you know... I don't think that Wilmer has bad intentions. I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know. Who knows? We'll never know. Until I'm in a relationship with him, we'll never know. Um, I think that he cares about her, like, a, a great deal. I think that he really, really fucking cares about Demi. Um... But yeah, I, I I could see them getting back together. I don't know what that will look but look like now, um, given where Demi is in her life. Um, I don't know if any of us can predict what's going to happen with her, which is really sad. And we'll obviously talk about all the current stuff later. Um, but I do think that I don't think it's over for them. You know, um, oof, sorry, just belched a little cold water up. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I, obviously I've talked about Wilmer a million times on this podcast. Like, his life was, his life pre-fame was already, like, not very interesting. And I've mentioned before that, like, even Wikipedia, I mean, you look at his Wikipedia and think that he was, like, an extra in, in films. Like, you wouldn't believe that he had this, like, now 15-year-long career where he's, like, starred in all these things because people just don't seem to care. I mean, his bio, it's like nobody's ever even bothered to ask Wilmer Valderrama, like, where he came from, which is really sad. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to go ahead and get started with Demi. Obviously, Demi has a crazy fucking life. And to be so young, uh, she has lived so much more than, I don't know, than m most of us will ever know. Um, she was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and she grew up in Dallas, um, her mom, Deanna, 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 not Deanna, uh, was a former Cow Dallas Cowboys cheerleader and, like, pageant queen, and, uh, her dad was an engineer and a musician, and Demi had a really fucking tough childhood, I mean, just, 
from the very beginning, she was just put through it. I mean, my God. Uh, like, it's so crazy when you, whenever I go back every week and I do research on these people's lives and I don't know, like, I'm able to, like, trace where a lot of their issues come from. You know, like, Demi's always had issues with, like, body dysmorphia and stuff. And, like, she's always had eating disorders. And she still has... It's, like, one of her biggest struggles is her eating disorder. Um, so to go back and revisit her life and, like, revisit, like, where those things stem from, it's so sad to be able to pinpoint a moment that was so dark in someone's past that it led to you know, 20 years of self-harm, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's intense. Um, but her father was very physically abusive. He was emotionally abusive. Um, he clearly had some sort of like mental instability on top of the fact that he also suffered addiction issues. You know, he was an alcoholic and, um, he was physically abusive to her mom. Um, and he was just an evil man. Like he would do weird things, like tell his children that he had cancer and then the next day, tell them that he never said it. Just weird, like, manipulative, mean things to do to your children. Um, and her dad, or her mom eventually remarried. So Demi considers her stepfather her actual father. And her real father, she calls him her biological dad, but she barely knows him. And he's not in any way like a part of her life. Um, and, uh, yeah, Demi was horribly bullied in school, uh, like, so much so that her mom allowed her to do homeschooling, and I just watched Demi's 2017 documentary from YouTube, so, like, a lot of my research came from that, on top of just, like, obviously going back and looking up stuff, um, but these girls in her school would just relentlessly bully her every day, and, um, one of the girls started a, like, suicide petition, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. Um, but this evil cunt, this little fucking piece of shit. I mean, can you imagine being the girl who ended up, who bullied Demi Lovato? And, like, you watch all these interviews and you see her tell this story of something that you did. And it's an, it's an inspiration for, like, her music. And, I mean, you must feel like a real cunt. You know what I mean? It's a real skater boy situation where you're at home now watching her rock out on MTV and you're probably feeding one of your eight children um, because you were, like, a popular girl in high school that, like, fucked the football player. But now you guys live in your, like, Midwestern town and you work in a cubicle and you have nine children and you hate your life. I hope that you're listening. You're a cunt. Who fucking does that? But this little cunt started a suicide petition and went around and had all these people sign it. Um, it was a petition for Demi Lovato to slit her wrists and on the petition, they also wrote all these mean notes about her that, you know, she was fat and that she was a whore. And, you know, this is, she was like a little girl. Like, there, she probably at that point hadn't even held somebody's hand. That she was like this little slut and that she was overweight and blah, blah, blah. And, like, that suicide petition led to so many mental health issues for her. Like, her eating disorder and, you know... Just everything. Um, she also, in her documentary, she talked about, you know, as a child, she was obsessed with death. Um, you know, she had these really manic 
depressive thoughts as a little girl um, about dying, and she would do these, like, mock funerals in her bedroom, and, you know, she would wonder as a kid, like, why her thoughts were so dark, and it took her, you know, years of therapy to realize, you know, where they stemmed from and why, you know, that she was bipolar and that she had these mental health issues, but, you know, she just... As early as even, you know, seven or eight years old, like, Demi's life has been just, like, kind of really sad. Um, and because of the abuse, Demi was raised in an environment that... It, the, the abuse from her dad. She was raised in an environment where she and her mom and her sisters um, were very secretive. And they weren't open about their lives. And they had this really... They were, like, the three musketeers. And they were really tight and super close. And a lot of that stemmed from the fact that they all had these intense secrets of abuse and just really dark shit happening in their house that nobody knew but them. And it bonded them in this really sort of sick way. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about this podcast where I end up every week, like, crying uh, when I'm doing research. But I always end up talking about these, like, sad women that I, like, adore that had these tragic upbringings. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I felt, you know, when you look at pictures of Demi Lovato as a little girl, this like bright eyed, like, you know, stage kid that just wants to like act and like make people laugh and be entertaining and sing, like, you know, and to know that she was going through shit that was so dark that she was um, fantasizing about how she would die as an eight year old, like it's really fucking horrible. Um, she started doing pageants when she was five and uh, she was just that quintessential little girl that would perform at all the local uh, foosball games. You know what I mean? Like, she would do the national anthem at, like, every sporting event in her town. And in 2002, she was cast on the show Barney and Friends as Angela. Uh, this is where she also met Selena Gomez. And uh, both Demi and Selena sort of aged out of Barney a couple years later. And uh, her mom allowed her to, after her mom allowed her to, to enroll in homeschooling um, as a tween, Demi and her family moved to LA so she could audition for shows and be out there during like pilot season. And, you know, she wanted to act. Like, she was just one of those kids that was just really desperate to be, like, on television or doing something. Um, she had guest starring roles on prison break and she also starred in the nickelodeon show just jordan um and that led to her being cast as charlotte adams in the disney channel series as the bell rings um she also auditioned for roles in camp rock and uh for the lead in sunny with a chance in 2007 and she was cast in both and i think that at that point you know disney had sort of decided that she would be, like, their girl, their go-to gal, you know? Um, and like I said, you know, I was... In 2008, I was in college. So I obviously missed the, like, 2007 boom of this generation of Disney stars. Um, of course, I knew who Demi was, and I knew who Miley was, and I knew who the Jonas Brothers were. And I knew who Selena was, and I knew who everybody was, but I just didn't give a shit. Like, I wasn't, like, watching Camp Rock. You know what I mean? I was, like, 19 or 20 years old. Um, so this movie means literally nothing to me. 
is what I'm trying to say. And I know that that's really painful for some of you because for some of you listening, you're young enough that this movie had like a very intense role. It played a very in- intense role in your life. Um, from what I gather, it was extremely impactful. I mean, this movie became a cultural phenomenon, Camp Rock. Um, but your boy just didn't give a shite. I didn't give a shite. I didn't care. I was too old. You know what I mean? I'm not a Wilmer. I don't, you know what I mean? I'm not like playing in sandboxes with other children. So I just, I didn't care. Um, but, you know, I, I do remember it being a really big deal. And I remember it being like the counterpart to High School Musical. And I remember like High School Musical being like the more sort of like culturally accepted one where like even people who weren't like necessarily kids would watch High School Musical and I don't know Camp Rock was like the tryhard version of High School Musical which I feel like Disney is responsible for a lot of I feel like Disney is always doing some version of like what's cool like these like Disney and I'm using quote fingers it's like the Disney version of like a mainstream thing that's like taken off and then they're, they, they'll just, like, throw their little, like, Disney stars in it and do, like, their shitty little version. But Camp Rock was, like, a huge fucking deal. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I, I know that it was a cultural phenomenon. I knew at that time that Demi was very talented. And I remember seeing her on talk shows and stuff. And she was, like, a girl that had, like, a, a you know, like, a young Christina Aguilera-style voice where she did, like, riffs and harmonies and stuff. And, like, I always thought that was really cool. Um, I always loved Miley more than anybody. Like, even as, like, Hannah Montana, Miley was my go-to gal. And I was introduced... Okay, so I was, like, truly introduced to Demi being an actual part of my life during way, way, way early YouTube days. Do you guys remember when Miley Cyrus had a YouTube channel called Miley and Mandy? And it was Miley and her best friend Mandy. And uh, they would just like riff and do dumb shit. Like Mandy or Miley would like teach her like the dance from Hannah Montana. Or they would like clean out Miley's closet. It's a tank top. If you know that, if you know that, like you are like a hardcore like stan and I live for you. It's tank top. Um, I was obsessed with Miley's like early days as a vlogger. Like I don't know if you guys realize that Miley was basically like vlogging on YouTube every day. Um, and there was this, this whole thing happening where, like, Miley and, and, and her friends would make fun of Demi and Selena, and they were both, like, so mean and catty to each other. And I remember Demi and Selena posted this video, um, of them just, like, hanging out in one of their bedrooms. And then Miley and Mandy recreated the video and like mocked them and it was like word for word and that was when I started to really learn who Demi was and I was like oh so Demi's like she's Disney's like rocker girl or whatever because that's what she was you know she was like Disney's answer to like emo rock I guess I don't know like she was like their Haley from Paramore I don't know um But obviously, you know, the Jonas Brothers were a huge part of Camp Rock, and this is where Demi met her future manager, Phil McIntyre, who at the time was managing the Jonas Brothers, and um, he's been managing her career since the beginning. 
Um, I read that Demi, and I could be wrong about this, or it could be very common knowledge and I'm just an idiot, but I read that Demi just recently, like, it was discovered that she, like, let go of her whole team, and that's why she's been having this, like, this, like, spiral, you know, she wa- she's been wanting a lot of freedom, and she's, like, been wanting to kind of break free of the, like, restraints that she's been under, and, uh, this is, like, the first time she's not had a lot of the people from her past and her life to, like, watch over her, um, and I'm wondering if Phil is included in that, like, is he still managing her? I don't know. Easily could have looked it up, like, I'm literally sitting on the internet, um, but yeah, I'll look it up before we, before we end this episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, her manager played a huge role in her getting sober, and he's been there for the lowest points in her career, the lowest points in her life, and the highest points, um, he's been in the room. Um, and yeah, I mean, Demi was doing music and television and movies all at once for Disney, and as a young girl, you know, she was definitely being worked too hard, which is no surprise to anyone. And again, I know we've talked about this, you know, we talk about this all the time. And it's, like, so funny to me that we, like, I don't know, we listen to these, like, cautionary tales, but we don't do anything to change it. Like, it's almost like we'll wait until 10 years later when whoever the person was is old enough to tell their story. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, You'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.